Hey Church, before we dive in, I want to draw your attention to a few things. Number one, um, our summer baptism service is going to be at the beginning of August. And so if you have never been baptized, publicly proclaimed that you are Christ for life, uh, we want to encourage you to do so. Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River, and it's something that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years to proclaim that we want to follow Jesus. Um, for the rest of our lives. And so if you've never been baptized, you can chat with any of our staff or email us at prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com. Secondly, our youth camp is coming up at the end of July. And so all that information is on the website. You can register and sign up there. And then finally, our prodigal kids summer camp is coming up in like eight days. And so if you haven't signed up, your kids K through fifth grade, it's going to be the highlight of their summer. We can't wait. Have you ever seen a movie or a TV show that runs in reverse order? Rather than moving the story forward from A to Z, the events unfold from Z to A. Now, there are lots of famous examples of this in film, but I distinctly remember this specific episode from Seinfeld. The show actually began with the end credits and then ended with the opening credits. This way of storytelling presents effects before causes and it gives the audience the facts from the future and then the future fills in the past i like movies like that i like shows like that and so for the next three weeks for summer mixtape we're going to do just that we're going to study the book of malachi starting with the end and then ending with the beginning and I hope that as we journey together through this ancient book, the reasons might become more clear of this reversal. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And after his prophecies here, there will be no words of scripture until after the time of Jesus, more than 400 years later. And so the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible, ends with a promise that God will send Elijah to his people. And he will turn the hearts of children to their parents and the hearts of parents to their children. And the New Testament tells us that Elijah it really wasn't the Old Testament Elijah coming back, but Jesus fulfills that. And then that phrase, he will turn the hearts of children to parents and their hearts of parents to children. It's beautiful. We've probably heard this word in church before, this, this phrase, this hearts of children, seeing the sacrifice and love of their parents and then fully appreciating them and living in a way that honors them. And then this turning of parents, their hearts being transformed towards their kids so that their decisions will create a world where all children thrive. This will make the world right. It really is a stunning, beautiful promise. And Jesus has been turning hearts of kids towards parents and turning hearts of adults towards kids for thousands of years. And there are hints of this even in chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. 
In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. It says that God heard them. Well, of course he did. Doesn't the Bible teach us that God hears our prayers? that we can pray and we can know that he has promised to hear our prayers. So, of course, God heard them. But wait a minute. Did you notice something in this passage in Malachi? It doesn't say that people were praying. Look at verse 16. It says that, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. These true followers of God got together had conversations, spoke with one another. What was said, we not, we're not told. Uh, we're only told that the Lord listened and then wrote down their words in a book of remembrance. God not only hears our prayers, he hears us. God eavesdrops. I do a lot of work in coffee houses with my laptop in front of me and headphones in my ears. And over the past decade or so, uh, online dating has really taken off. In fact, most of the weddings that I officiate over the last several years, the couple met online. And I don't know if you know this, but one of the most popular things to do when you're meeting someone for the very first time is you go and you meet for coffee. And so, over the years, I have had the distinct privilege of eavesdropping on lots of couples that are meeting for the very first time in person. And it's always so awkward, but also, at the very same time, so entertaining. So I've got my headphones in, and it looks like I'm typing, but there's no music in my ears, and actually, I'm just typing in a few occasional random letters. Rather, I am enthralled by the awkward couple sitting next to me. She asks, so what was your first impression when you saw me? And he's like, well, you look different than your profile pic. She's like, good different? And he's like, yeah, totally good different. Like, like a photo on a screen doesn't do justice to your beauty. And I'm like, wow, dude, nice, nice, nice save. And now I'm invested, okay? I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. And she asks him, what do you like to do in your spare time? And he says, I play video games. I immediately yell, no! No, and everyone kind of looks at me. No, they put, they put Splenda in my coffee instead of the sweet and low. No, guys, the coffee's wrong, the coffee's wrong. Nice save. Now, at this point, I realize I should probably be studying for my sermon, but here I am, eavesdropping on this awkward couple, and I can't help it. It's better than reality TV. Now, in Malachi chapter three, we see God eavesdropping on his people, listening as they speak with one another. And the text says that he wrote them down in a scroll of remembrance. A scroll of remembrance was a technical expression. It was a catalog of historically significant people and events that must never be forgotten. A nation needs to remember its heroes. 
And there are all kinds of documents that archaeologists have discovered over the years to put the pieces of history together. And the stuff that was written down was always about significant people, significant events. And that is the beauty of this passage of scripture, that these people in Malachi, they were not written about in the books of remembrance in their day. Okay, God doesn't care about the big events and the kings and the queens and the victories and the military battles. No. So these people that Malachi is writing to, they may not be significant politically or historically, but their names and their words, God writes them down. God knows their names. They may not be on history's pages. And even though their lives and their words with one another seem insignificant, they were significant to God. When the people of God meet together, it's always significant. He treasures his people meeting together. He remembers it. He enjoys it. The Lord thinks so much of our speaking with one another and sharing about his ways. Your conversations with your brothers and sisters are considered special jewels to God. The Lord loves to hear his kids be together. And there is a special kind of joy when Sarah and I see or hear Dex or Ivy being sweet to one another. And the same is true with God. There is no insignificant event. He's always eavesdropping. I found this wonderful message from one of the Desert Fathers written around 400 AD. Okay, 800 years after Malachi, 400 years after the time of Christ. There were two old men who had dwelt together for many years and they never quarreled. And that one of them said to the other, let us pick a quarrel with one another, even as other men do. I know not how to quarrel, said the younger, to which the older replied, set then this brick in the middle and say that this is mine, to which I will say, no, it's mine, from whence quarreling will begin. And so they placed the brick in between them. And one said, this is mine, to which the other said, if this be so, then take it and go thy way in peace. So they were unable to quarrel. These are sayings of the desert fathers, people who began to follow Jesus, some of the first followers of Jesus. We may not always agree with our brother, but we can always make a choice for peace. Peace is always a choice. And God is eavesdropping on your conversations. Are your conversations filled with a heart for peace or to quarrel? Do your conversations display that you want to honor his name? Do your conversations show a God that is turning hearts to live in a way that makes the world right? Nothing you do or say is insignificant. God is invested. He's not listening to music and typing on his laptop unaware. No, your life is riveting. He's eavesdropping. When I was in sixth grade, I got dumped by the new girl at my school. Her name was Heather. And she had been in our school just a few days when I w went up to her during recess and I asked her to go around with me. Okay, that's how we asked back in the day. 
it meant that I was asking her to be my girlfriend. And she said yes. And then for the entire week at school, we never spoke. And by the end of the week, she called me on my home phone, which is the only phone we had back then, and she broke up with me. How? Why? We had such a great connection. I remember crying in my room. I remember recording a new mixtape of sad songs, playing those songs on a cassette player and rewinding the song and playing again while I looked at myself in the mirror while crying. It's funny now, but when the hurt and the pain is deep enough, it's never funny. Like as adults, when a relationship isn't working or when a relationship ends, it's never funny. It's earth shattering. Some hearts never recover. And where is God in the midst of that pain? Does God's word have any encouragement for us in those moments? Well, God eavesdrops on our conversations, but God intervenes in our pain. And in the middle of Malachi, God intervenes. God gets involved. His charges against his people get personal. They get real. And when God speaks of how his people are hurting one another and how his people are hurting him, he uses the metaphor of marriage. He uses the metaphor of betrayal. He uses the metaphor of heartbreak. Malachi chapter 2, 10 through 16. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the men who do this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. And another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the one God made you you belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. So be on guard. Don't be unfaithful. Now, that's a lot of words. What's going on here? Well, first, the Israelites were called to be God's chosen people, a shining light to the world. And in the law, it was abundantly clear that they were not to marry foreign women because that would turn their hearts away from God. So it's not about, well, she's from a different tribe, I can't marry her. It's about God warning us and wanting our allegiance only. It's a warning against idolatry. God rigorously guards our fidelity to him alone. If there are competing things in your life that, that you put before God, God might remove them from you. And that is a grace, not a consequence. 
It is a grace that you sometimes don't get what you ask for because God wants your heart to be his and he doesn't want it to belong to things that it shouldn't. He didn't want God's, he didn't want the people of God's hearts to be turned to other gods. So he said, don't marry. Don't put idols in front of me. God is in love with you. And anything that threatens your relationship with God or competes with your relationship with God, he warns against it. So what is God warning you about? What things are competing for your allegiance? God wants to be number one. Uh, the second thing I see in this long passage here, and really it's a theme throughout scriptures, is that it is possible to live in willful disobedience and yet pretend that you're living in obedience. And such dedication is delusion. Look at verse 12. As for the man who does this, Whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. The Hebrew word here for offering is minka. It means gift or tribute, present, uh, sacrifice. And to give this type of offering or gift, uh, you would give a sacrifice. And it would be a way to express your gratitude for God's provision, and to express your dedication in your life to his service. And these men appeared to be devout, but their dedication was delusion. They are blatantly doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord, and yet are making offerings the necessary worship every single week. Do we portray to have it all together and therefore hinder real transformation in our lives? The church has traditionally been terrible at this. They say that there are three places at which Americans pretend the most to, to be something that, that, that they're not. The first is when we walk into a lobby of a fancy hotel. The second is when we walk into a car dealership and we've got a wheel and deal. And then finally, it's the church on Sunday morning. Prodigal church. This is not the place to pretend. None of us have it together. You're not fooling any of us, and you're not fooling God. The same was true 400 years before the time of Jesus, the time of Malachi. Uh, the church should be the place where you come as you are. And here in Malachi 2, we see these men in Israel, they're bringing their offerings, their, their minka, but their offerings are not accepted by God. Why? Because of verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now, there is some debate among scholars as to what Malachi is saying here when he says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. Some think that this is kind of like a false repentance by the men who are upset that God isn't accepting their, their sacrifice. So they're kind of this showy, tearful expression, uh, lamenting to God. But I think there is more going on here. I don't think the Lord's altar is flooded with the tears of these men repenting, but it is flooded by the tears of these women who are discarded by these men. See, God is always at work with those forgotten, abused, hurting, and oppressed. God is always more concerned with the victims of our sins than the offense of our sin. 
You see, in the ancient world, if you were a woman who was divorced by a man, you lost your very sustenance. You, you, you were discarded. You were thrown out. There was no child support payment system. There was no dividing of your assets or possessions. No, no one gets half. If you were the woman, you got nothing. You were cast out and cast aside. And so these Israelite women are now single moms just trying to make it, doing whatever they can to survive, and they are flooding the altar of God with their tears. That is why the sacrifices of these men are not accepted by God. And that's why in verse 16 we read, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. These abandoned women mattered to God. In their vulnerable state, in a kill-or-be-killed patriarchal world, they mattered to God. God didn't pay attention to the men's sacrifices. God was too busy paying attention to the women that these men just sacrificed. So God doesn't recognize the offerings of these men because he sees all the tears of their ex-wives. The New Testament is concerned about this as well. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. In the same way, your husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be the weaker, she may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Did you catch that last part there? Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. There seems to be a connection to God's blessing on our prayers and the way we treat our spouses. Wow. Some of you are wondering why your prayers aren't being answered. Maybe treat your spouse better. Serve them, love them, sacrifice for them, put their needs and desires above yourselves. Where do you find yourself in the back half of the book of Malachi? Some of us are like the discarded women flooding the altar of God with our tears. God hears you. God intervenes. Some of us are the religious offering sacrifices, but not offering our hearts. God calls you to a faith of not obeying the rules, but of loving the vulnerable around us. And then others of us are like that couple meeting for the first time, stumbling awkwardly through this life, from conversation to conversation, and God is listening, and God is writing you down in a scroll of remembrance. Malachi is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. And now to end our time today, let us end with the beginning. Let us return to a story in not the last book of the Hebrew Bible, but in the very first book of the Hebrew Bible. And it is the story of Noah. You're familiar with it. You remember it from Sunday school. And the story of Noah is found in Genesis chapters 5 through 9. And we studied this story a couple of years ago during one of COVID's peaks in January of 2021. And the main point of the story, the main story, point of the story of Noah isn't that God loves animals, 
though he does. The main point of the story of Noah isn't that God uh, judges evil in the world, though he does. The main point is found in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. The main point in the story of Noah is not that God judges. It's not that there are rainbows or that there was this big flood or that God loves animals. The main point of the story of Noah is that God remembers. And that stands in stark contrast to the other flood accounts that were floating around the ancient world at that time. God remembers. Isn't that beautiful? The main point isn't humans are evil. The main point is, isn't Noah is faithful it is that God remembers. God remembers Noah and God remembers you. In the middle of this crazy storm that we're all going through, in the middle of all the storms in our lives, God remembers. Our church began to record our services online for over 15 months during 2020 and 2021. Before that, we just kind of live streamed to Facebook and that was it. And so we were online constantly. And during that COVID season, every Wednesday at 12 o'clock, we would have a short time for prayer on Zoom. We called it noonday prayer. And it was usually a small number of us, a few staff, maybe a few others from our church. At times it was just two or three of us. And with all of the world falling apart in that season, these tiny Zooms sometimes felt insignificant. And I remember in January of 2021, when a handful of us were praying on the internet, and Gary, who's an amazing Christ-like leader in our church, prayed something about the story of, of Noah. He prayed that as Noah finally left the boat and he experienced the light of day, he experienced new life beginning all over again. And for me, it was just this powerful reminder of the way that life works. It is after the rain that things bloom. I remember that Zoom. God remembers that Zoom. God was on his computer that Wednesday too. And he was eavesdropping on this small group of people. He remembers. Even though it felt insignificant, in his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought, about the honor of his name. It is still true today. God, thank you that you remember. I pray, God, that our lives would not be filled with delusion, but with actual dedication, and that we would not forget the vulnerable and hurting around us. And God, I pray that we would see the connection between how we treat those around us and the response of our prayers. God, Move our hearts to love the vulnerable and hurting. And God, uh, fill our lives with the joy and life abundant that you promise. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, next week, we continue uh, our series backwards through the book of Malachi. We hope and pray you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.